Good day to all of our investors and general listeners. This is the Rudd Commentary. My name is Josh Rudd, and I'll be your host on this presentation today. And with me direct from the trading room today is Jack Herr. Jack, we're going to be talking about 401ks a little later today. But before we get started, you know, one of the biggest questions that I've gotten over the last about six to seven weeks, you know, March has been a pretty rough month. One of the biggest questions that I've gotten is, is when is this market going to bottom? We talked about that on our investor conference call as well. And, you know, it made me think of a joke that I heard when I was a kid. So do you know what you get when you cross an elephant with a rhinoceros? No, I don't. Elephino. <laughs> I like it. When so, when'd you uh, hear that joke? Uh, quite a long time ago. And, you know, it was one of those uh, jokes. I don't know if you all have ever had them, uh, heard them as a kid, you know, where they went over your head and then 20 years later you're driving along and you just start laughing because you finally get it. Yeah. That was a very wise person that told me that when I was very young. Kind of reminds me of the... the environment that we're in today and just trying to find out where the bottom is on this market. A little murky, but it's been a it's been a rough March in the uh, last couple of weeks of February. I'm very interested to see kind of what you've experienced in, in the trading room. Why don't you share a little bit of, of that with our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So a lot going on right now, like you mentioned, we did, I think last podcast, we were searching for that bottom, falling pretty quick, lots of volatility. But the good thing is we have bounced back a little bit over the last couple of weeks um, after we have hit those lows. Like you said, um, the one consistent thing in this market has been volatility. I think it's been a little less noticeable in the last few weeks to the average investor just because we have started that recovery. And obviously, you know, those big day, those big up days are good for the market. And, you know, you know people are happy to see that. But one thing I wanted to ask you here is, you know, how should the average investor be dealing with this type of volatility? I think about people close to retirement who, you know, maybe checking their account statements more regu- regularly, and you know, I'm sure it's a stressful time for them. Oh, it is. We talked a lot about that on our last call, and and I also sent out a communication to our investors a couple of weeks back, and I would encourage all of you to go back and, and look at that. One of the most important things that seems very simple, but that can help a lot is not spending all day watching the news. I know that uh, that may sound a little negative on on the news media out right now, but uh, just think about comparison now to 20, 30 years ago and the amount of information that we have at our fingertips, Jack, and the fact that we can go on the internet and, and social media and we can have as much information as CNN or the major trading desks on Wall Street did 20 years ago. So there's, there's been an overwhelming amount of data that we're getting hit with on a daily basis. And, and some of that is factual and some of it's not. But at the end of the day, I don't know about you, but I'm not a doctor. So it's very difficult for me to evaluate that information and to really, really just tell what's going on in the world. So... You know, we have to watch news on a regular basis in the industry that we're in. It's our job. You know, we're managing your hard-earned wealth. And so it's an important component of what we do every day. But I tell you what, it's even tough for us to, to really filter through a lot of that news to see what's important, what's not fact, fiction, or, or really just speculation at this point. So I would encourage you to do that. You know, it's, it's important to stay on top of topics, but I think some of the more sensational news sources and, and some of the social media outlets – it, it, that can really add a lot of stress to your life 
And so just taking that in a measured fashion and taking that in bite size pieces is, is extremely important. Some of the more direct things that we can do is just make sure that we're being realistic with the amount of cash that we need right now. Look at expenses over the next three to six months. Make sure that you have enough accessible cash in the bank, checking account. It really helps you. You may not spend it, but it, it really helps as a, for a nice pillow, and, and you get a lot of good sleep when you <laughs> go to bed at night. And I think just keeping that, that stress low. Those are the two things that I think are really important. You know, We can't all be experts in epidemiology, say that three times. Um, and we also can't be uh, uh, expert economists. But one thing we can't do is, can't do is just make smart decisions on the cash we're holding and, and the amount of uh, time we're spending looking at that all of the information that's coming down the pipeline. So that's, that's a good point, Jack. Thanks for asking. Yeah, and I, I definitely second your point, especially you know with the media and social, social media specifically. So um, th- thanks for bringing that up. So the second thing I wanted to talk about today was the ec- economic impact of the virus. Um, that's definitely something we're starting to see as we are now a couple weeks in from our entire nation being, or almost our entire nation being shut down. Um, you know, most small businesses, non-essential businesses, things like that. So the first statistic that we're really starting to take a close look at is the unemployment claims. Those have spiked in the first two weeks since the shutdown started. We're at about 10 million unemployment claims. And we expect that number to continue to get worse. And uh, in response to that, the government has put out the relief bill that has targeted you know, all sorts of people in this economy, including consumers with the personal checks, small business loans, and certain big industries that are deemed essential to the global economy. So at, at this point, if we're not in a recession already, it looks like we're heading that way. But the one thing that is unclear is the severity of this recession. Obviously, before this, you know, we talked a lot about the good economy with a strong good consumer and, you know, how that consumer was kind of driving this economy. With all this being said, Josh, I just wanted to ask you, how long do you think this will last? I know a lot of times in the trading room, we talk about the strong consumer and all that pent up demand that, you know, may take place. People want to get out of their houses. (laughs) They want to go back to their normal lives. But at the same time, um, you know, I, I think we could take a little bit of a cautious approach and, you know, slowly get things up back and running. So w- which side do you kind of take there? Well, it's a good question. You talked about getting back to, to normal and normal lives, I think, is the, the term that you use. So first off, in that regard, I, I believe it's important for investors, Jack, to have realistic expectations in this environment. And so I think when we look back and we analyze this recovery, it's very likely that we will not see that V-shaped bounce back that we may be hoping for, you know, that we, we hear about on the news and, and the pundits talk about. And, and one reason is that I don't believe we'll get back to normal until we have a vaccine or a cure. I, I just, you know, we're, we'll have some measure of normalcy at some point. And I don't know when that's going to happen, but I believe it's reasonable to look out at that vaccine based on what I've heard in the next 12 to 18 months. So if you're looking for a date, you know, let's throw that out there. But I don't believe there's going to be a, a, a light switch or a switch that we hit and we're back to normal. You know, we'll probably there's going to be segments of the economy that'll that'll mobilize faster than others. But really, when we talk about normal and all of us thinking about what we did before, we're going to have to have a vaccine. You know, that's that's just what I believe and, and what I see happening. So 
Having said that, I believe a future analysis of the recovery will show that economic activity was halted by the government restrictions on business. And so this is really different than what we've seen in the past, right? It's government-imposed shutdown. And then we went through a period of disjointed business activity you know, over that 12- to 18-month period, continuing to be frustrated by restrictions. And I think you're going to continue to see some supply chain imbalances. Finally, followed by uh, a violent surge upward. And, and you know, that's that pent-up demand that you were talking about and, and the duration of this downturn. So th- if you're thinking about that and you draw a picture, you know, you've got this fall and then you've got this frustrated progress forward over that 12 to 18 month period and then a very violent move upward. And during that time, it's important to expect some of the numbers, you know, you were implying very high unemployment rates and I'm guessing, you know, in the mid teens, which is unprecedented and at least two consecutive quarters of of negative GDP. So I think the key, Jack, with what you said and and the way you phrased it is is getting back to normal and defining, for me, that's what life was like before we had this challenge. And that's going to take a while. It's going to take a while, and and I'm I'm looking forward and very positive on, on seeing a vaccine at some point in the future. Yeah, I agree. And with so many factors involved, I I think – I think you're right that, you know, it definitely is going to take some time. So I promised you only two questions on on coronavirus. So we'll we'll kind of move on and talk about a few different things going on in the market here. The third one, and this is perhaps, in my opinion, one of the the biggest storylines besides coronavirus over the last month is the oil conflict between Russia and Saudi Arabia. This couldn't really have happened at a worse time for us, given that it kind of hit right when all the virus stuff started to get worse here in the U.S. and caused even extra pressure on oil companies. What happened is Russia and OPEC refused to cut oil production. And a little bit of a supply war definitely hurt prices across the country, as we saw oil even reach $20 per barrel. This was obviously magnified by the fact that there was low demand worldwide, given that the way we're living our lives now. And recently, we've had the U.S. step in and almost mediate this conflict a bit, take some pressure off the oil companies, and it looks like there are going to be some cuts from Russia and Saudi Arabia for the time being. But we know these countries you know, don't always keep their word and always aren't always the most trustworthy. So, Josh, do you see this becoming a bigger issue, or do you think we will continue to work this out in more of a positive trend from here on out? You know, after the last 20 years in this business, the one thing I know about the oil patch is I can't predict oil prices, Jack. It's just a just a lost cause. Oil prices are extremely volatile, and I, I don't expect that to change. What I will say is that oil consumption, while down in the short term, is, is not going to go away anytime soon. And I, like anybody, am really excited about innovation and, and with electric vehicles and electric motors and, and energy storage capabilities in general. I can tell you that from our perspective on the desk, the, the higher quality oil companies in the oil patch, they look very interesting right now. All right. Thanks, Josh. And sorry to um, make you project your, <laughs> your oil prices, but thanks for the insight. So the next thing that I wanted to talk about that happened over the last couple of weeks was um, the Federal Reserve decreased the Fed fund rate, um, which is the rate at which banks borrow from the Fed. Um, They decreased that to near zero in anticipation of the coronavirus effect. 
obviously, you know, when they lower rates like this, it's an attempt to get people to spend more, stimulate the economy. It's a little difficult right now when things are shut down, but really just wanted to get your thoughts on this. No specific question. And, you know, do you have any concerns with this, with this action? Yeah, so my concern over Fed policy and, and interest rates in general spring eternal these days. Right now, the Fed is conducting significant open market operations, not only in, in treasuries and money markets, but in corporate and, and muni bonds as well. So one of the things I'm eager to see, Jack, is if the government will have the strength to unwind all this monetary policy and economic stimulus after this crisis, pandemic, which uh, will and, and should involve large tax increases across the board at all levels of income. I, don't, I really don't see any way around that. I mean, $2 trillion is unprecedented, and that's not even including what's being talked about and, and, uh, and pushed forward in addition to what we've already seen. Also wondering if this is another indication of how we're now dealing with every perceived economic crisis we encounter going forward. So I'm not holding my breath or, or waiting to see at this point, Jack. I, you know, as you know, we're adjusting our investment strategies along the way to, to deal with that. Yeah, and I, I think we're definitely in a period, aside from just the Fed, of adjustment right now with, with things changing so quickly. So the last thing I wanted to talk about, and it's something you actually just brought up in your last answer with the Federal Reserve starting to step into open market operations, is um, the dislocation of credit markets. So for those of our investors who don't know and our listeners, um, we are pretty active in credit markets. And while equity market got the headlines for selling off, the credit markets did something similar. So when I say price dislocation in these markets, um, what I mean is that investors... Um, all investors were rushing to sell bonds of all quality, everything from high-grade municipals to more speculative corporate bonds. Many investors were rushing to sell these type of securities, and there weren't that many buyers in the market. So another example of low demand and high supply, and instead of getting a fair price for these bonds, investors were having to sell for 80 70 even $0.60 cents on the dollar in some cases. Like Josh mentioned earlier, the Fed was able to step in and provide some liquidity to investors by buying these bonds at more fair prices. So this did help a little bit. But over the last week, that is kind of what's been happening in the credit markets. So Josh, two questions for you. I wanted to ask you about our strategy during times like this. We talk about opportunity a lot in the equity markets. So maybe if you could explain our opportunity in these type of markets. And then also, what is the impact on investors on their accounts or on their statements? Um, what kind of prices are they seeing during times like this? Now, let's take a stab at the, the first question there. So just some important point, uh, uh, important point I want to make for our listeners is that the markets are forward-looking and trying their best to discount the value of all the information available. And Jack, we talked about how we're just getting run over by information these days, and it's hard to tell what's accurate, what's not, and, and we're all trying to be doctors at this point and evaluate a novel virus. So having said that, it's also important for us to know that the market participants are, are human beings. And because they're human, they're very rational at times and, and often overstating or understating perceived risk and rewards. So this, this fact that of overstating and understanding can cause prices to move well past 
what we would call the intrinsic value or, or what an investor would be willing to pay for an investment in, in a low stress environment. So just, just as a point before we move on, the vast majority of us move in, in herds. And, you know, as, as much as we all want to be contrarians, we aren't. And there's a significant opportunity, Jack, in, in the difference between perception and reality. And one of the things that we do, you know, we're thinking about being a contrarian, and one of the things we do in this environment is we, can, we, we tend to convince ourselves that this time it's different. And I would argue that, that that statement is what keeps most investors from achieving those above-average returns in, in the market. So when you talk about the difference between perception and reality and what you were referring to and mispricing in the bond market and, and our strategy, let's, let's just apply this to the retail sector, right? And what we've seen happen to these companies that are now closed or temporarily closed. So over the past... Uh, to be fair, about three to four weeks. So we've witnessed significant discounts in this sector, the retail sector. And these are for household names of well-run companies in both stock and bond markets. So I don't claim to know exactly which companies will bounce back quicker than others or which which of those are, are managed better or worse throughout this crisis. But one thing, Jack, that I can tell you is that most of us are still buying online and will likely continue our spending habits in some form or fashion in the near future. So if this crisis only lasts in its current form for, let's say, a few more months and then hobbles back to normal and the long number I gave you of 12 to 18 months down the road, our strategy is, is pretty simple. I'm definitely willing to buy some of America's best retail companies on sale for 20 to 50% off. Uh, it's, it might be a little vague for our listeners, but that, that's really the, the basics of what we're doing. And that's the, the strategy that we have. So looking in, in places where the, the difference between perception and reality is, is pretty wide, and it also manifests itself in the difference between what investors are willing to pay for and what they're willing to sell at in, in a lot of these securities that we're buying. Now, you had asked about specifically bond prices, and I'll comment about that just real briefly. Stock and bonds behave very differently, and if you want to hear more details on that, we have a, I think we had a presentation uh, several months ago on, on bonds and, and how pricing works. But it's unfortunate that bond pricing on statements and, and on the Internet is not as uh, efficient as stock pricing. And it's actually not – it's not that it's not it, – it, it, it's not in real time, and it takes a little while to catch up through the data sources that we get. And in some bonds that we trade, those bonds may not trade for days, weeks, or even months, especially right in the case of munis, Jack. We've seen that a lot. Yep. So it's important for investors to know that when you look at your statement, while the market is largely efficient, there can be a pretty big gap between what a, a, a bond investor is willing to sell at and what another bond investor is willing to buy at, where most stocks right. will trade with a penny spread. You and I, I mean, what's some of the widest spreads we've seen bid S spreads on bonds recently? I mean, yeah, we've seen 10-point spreads on some. So. Yeah, and, and that's very significant. So there are these pricing services that have algorithms that, that try to, to present prices and, and that custodians pay for on your statement. So I would just ask bond investors to just be very careful with that. When you're looking at your statements, realize 
that there's a lot of inefficiencies that show up in these markets and, and pricing can be pretty unreliable during a period like this. Did I miss any of those questions, Jack? No, I know I, th- I threw a lot at you there, but I appreciate you getting, getting to most of those. Well, any, uh, anything else, Jack, that you want to discuss until we head into the uh, kind of our main course here? No, I'm excited to see, hear from Dan again today. So, oh, so am I. So let's uh, let's jump into our main topic for this presentation today, uh, which is really just something that's very important to me. Uh, that's employer-sponsored retirement plans, and, and primarily 401ks is uh, what we want to talk about today. Those can come in, in many other forms as well, but you know our discussion today is primarily going to be focused on the 401k. And partly, we've gotten a lot of questions focused on that, and recently, and and also. As you may or may not know, just our listeners, we do a lot of consulting work on 401k plans and, and help guide hundreds of participants in their in their plans daily for some really great companies. So one of the things uh, let's do first is Dan, you're back on the you're back on the podcast today. I am back. It's great to be here. Well, as, as some of our listeners of our past podcast will know, Dan is an expert in, in many things financial planning related and is also our point person for our 401k plan business, our consulting business here at the Rudd Company. So what I'd like to do to, to start off, Dan, you know, we've been getting a lot of questions uh, from not only our private clients, but our participants as well. And they've been asking, Dan, is this a, is this a good time for me to continue to invest in my 401k? So why don't you start off with, uh, with that question and, and kind of take us off there? Yeah, I'd be glad to. My unequivocal response is, is going to be yes. This is a great time to not only keep contributing, but also to increase your contributions if you're able. The uh, the 401k is designed for a long-term financial investment for your retirement. As long as you're secure in your job and you're not breaking the bank on increasing your contributions, this is a great time to to buy into the market because it's cheaper. And it's also a great time. There's a little silver lining in what's going on right now. So we're on lockdown from the government, and and we're not able to do a lot of the things that we're used to do with our normal lifestyle. But I don't know if you've ever heard of what's called lifestyle creep. Have you ever heard of that term? Dan, why don't you tell us about that? Yeah. Um, That is, as people progress through their career and they get raises and promotions, a lot of times they'll increase their lifestyle without increasing their retirement savings. So a lot of the things that really aren't essential, they begin to perceive as essential, and that can actually cause a really a big difficulty for your retirement plan. So now that we're not spending as much and we're getting down to the basics, we're getting kind of stoic about what's really important, then we can reevaluate what our budgets are and put a little bit more of those contributions in so that we can make our long-term retirement plan more successful. So, Dan, what you're saying is that as I progress through my career and I get promoted and I start making more money and I buy a nicer car and I start eating out more and I buy a bigger house, sometimes my 401k contributions don't keep up with that. That's that's exactly right. Getting a raise, while most of the time we think that's a good thing, could actually pose a risk to your retirement plan. Because when it comes time for you to retire, you're used to a certain lifestyle and it's going to be much more difficult to make that adjustment at that time. So right now, that adjustment is kind of being forced on us. So take advantage of it and really get to what the basics are. You know, so you may be getting a raise and you might be keeping that same 11, 12% or or whatever it is. So your dollar amount's going to increase, but it might not be enough to account for that increase in lifestyle you're taking because of the raise. 
So you get used to that new lifestyle. You definitely do. You definitely do. And you don't want to be shocked when you hit retirement. I've talked to many participants that they're doing very well with their careers. They got a great lifestyle. But when you look at it, when you analyze it, they need to take some fairly big steps in order to, to get back on track. Well, Dan, I appreciate that. So uh, you got me thinking about 401ks. So why is a 401k such a good option versus, say, a traditional IRA or maybe an annuity or some other things? Yeah, great question. Um, there's, there's a couple of reasons. Depending on your own situation, one particular type of retirement account or, or retirement vehicle may be better than another. But one of the great advantages of a 401k is you get that tax deferral. And now that they have Roth 401ks, you can also get that tax-free growth. So instead of the tax money going to the government, you get to hold on to that and I'll let that work for you instead of working for the government. So it helps with your uh, growth and your wealth. And that's a tremendous benefit. And it's a benefit that you can't get on your own. You have to get it through an employer for a 401k. Now, you can get an IRA for yourself, but the drawback there is the individual contribution limits are a lot lower. So it's only $6,000 for an IRA. If you're looking at a 401k, it's 19500 for this year. And what about, um, Dan, if I'm a you know pretty successful professional and high performer and I want to put into a Roth, I've heard that I'm limited on being able to put into a Roth if I make too much money. Tell me about that. That's right. So for a uh, Roth IRA, an individual retirement account, there's an income limit where if you make above this year for a married couple, it's 196000 of a adjusted gross income, you begin to be able to contribute less and less until it's zero at 206000 And the contribution limit, depending on your age, is only $6,000. With a Roth 401k, there is no income limit on that. So if you make two, three hundred thousand dollars um, adjusted gross income, you can still contribute nineteen thousand five hundred and then another sixty five hundred if you're fifty or over. Dan, that sounds really powerful, especially uh I didn't know there were so many flexible options on those retirement accounts. That's no, it just sounds really powerful. So we've also been getting a lot of questions regarding investment options within those four oh one Ks and mainly it hasn't been so much about which investments to choose as it is do we need to make our a change to our investment should we should we be a little more conservative during this period in our 401k and wait this thing out what can you tell us about that what are you hearing yeah that's a question i get a lot the most common question is you know should i stop contributing or should I go into cash and my answer to both of those is no you don't want to stop contributing because of what i talked about before and you want to stick with your investment strategy. You want to keep that discipline in there. So the key there is finding out what your real tolerance for the ups and downs of the market is and just stick with the uh, the strategy. I wouldn't go more conservative right now because we don't know where the bottom's going to be at, but you don't want to get out of the market and not be able to participate in the recovery. And if you're not going to be retiring in less than five years, there's plenty of time for your portfolio to recover and you'll be able to participate in those gains. And historically speaking, a lot of the gains come very shortly after the, the bottom is hit in the market. So I would just encourage to, to stick with the, the investment strategy that you have. So I've heard, I heard you say before, uh, I guess this would apply here, that as long as you feel good about your job security, 
mm-hmm. that this is an opportunity to continue investing in that 401k. What about increasing your contributions? Oh, ab- absolutely. If you can, if you can increase it, so this will give you a chance to catch up with that lifestyle creep. You know, you increase that percentage that you're contributing into, and that's more money buying into shares at a cheaper price so that when you get into that recovery mode, you're going to catch up that much quicker. I'm trying to find out who this creep is. <laughs> <laughs> That's all great information, Dan. So also on a, on a 401k, any limitations in, in me being able to access that money? What's that money in that 401k for? I heard, I've heard a lot of rules, and I know that HR departments put out, you know, some have loans, some don't. What's your overall philosophy on accessing money in a 401k? Yeah, very simply, that is earmarked for retirement. And to get enough wealth accumulated for retirement, you need to save and be investing over a long period of time. Uh, We're living a lot longer. Our lifestyles are getting a little bit higher. And we want to make sure that we have that money. If you start drawing off of that money too early before retirement, then that's it's kind of like eating too much seed instead of planting it for growing corn. You know, you can only eat so much before you're not going to be able to grow enough corn for the rest of your life after you retire. Generally speaking, loans and hardship withdrawals, in-service withdrawals, anything like that, I typically don't recommend. It's, you know, any kind of withdrawal from a 401k for other than retirement should be as an absolute last resort. Well, I have to agree with you there, Dan. And I was so excited. Our team here, you know, we have a 401k here at the company that I saw a lot of uh, increases to contributions come in over the last five to six weeks and just mm-hmm. how how exciting that was to see that because I agree with you. This is just an incredible opportunity to really take the time to reevaluate your financial picture and Absolutely. to evaluate where you are and, and all kidding aside with that lifestyle creep and just seeing if you're keeping pace with your spending habits and, and, reviewing some of those projections. And that'd be a great time to for our listeners to contact you, wouldn't it be, Dan? Absolutely. Uh, I would love love to talk to anybody about that. Dan, thank you. I think you did a great job from a, uh, a participant's perspective. And I, I just want to make one point very clear that uh, us here at the Red Company, I, I've said this many times, and I want our listeners, especially our 401k participants who may be listening, that for most of us, we don't have the opportunity to go out and just start a business with a bunch of seed capital from a private equity firm. And, you know, we don't have the time to go out and innovate new products. You know, we've got families and obligations and children and, and we're doing so many things and we have got so many plates spinning in the air. Having said that a 401k is one of the easiest ways I've found in my career to build wealth. And I don't know if you've experienced that as well, but you know, I eat my own cooking here and I participate in our 401k here and it's very nice having that come directly out of your paycheck and you don't even mm-hmm. have to think about it. And, you know, during these periods of market turbulence, you know, I know that you know, I'm buying more and, and I'm buying it at a cheaper price. So that's very exciting for me. But Dan, if we could, I want to tap your expertise. And I know you work a lot with business owners. I want to talk a little bit about 401ks from a business owner's perspective. And, and I just want to have you take the wheel here and, and speak to any of our small business owners that may be in our listening audience today and just talk to them. I I think that from my perspective, that's a little bit overlooked 
And I can tell you when I started the company here that it's usually not always on top of mind. You're trying to struggle and you're starting the business. And, and you know, I, I know that when I started the company here, I didn't take a paycheck for a year and a half. And, and you've got other things on your mind. But talk to us a little bit about uh, why 401k should be considered by business owners and, and how powerful they are in, in that space as well. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And you're, you're 100% correct. It is a very powerful tool for small business owners. Uh, it's a it's a very significant tax benefit. So as you're becoming more successful in your in your business, a lot of times taxes become a a greater concern. And with a 401k, whether you're a sole proprietor or you have people working for you, whatever your business structure is, you can set this up. Not only do you get the tax deduction like a normal employee would from income taxes, but any kind of a match or uh, profit sharing that you can do with yourself, like you could do with your employees, that's a business deduction as well. So that's a very good opportunity, uh, very good tool to be able to um, shelter some of those tax consequences from your business. Another good benefit is for a lot of entrepreneurs, they have a lot of money and time and effort invested in their business. And a lot of times they'll think, well, when it comes time to retire, I'm just going to sell my business and that's going to be kind of my retirement plan. With the 401k, that gives you the opportunity to start taking some of the income that you earn from your business and diversifying it into something other than your business. Because in the 401k, you're going to be invested in in mutual funds and other companies and things like that. So it gives you the ability to financially diversify your portfolio. That is so important. I don't don't know about you guys, but I don't know any business owners that look at their business as their retirement plan. Do you guys? Oh, no, not at all. (laughs) We we hear that a lot here, don't we, Dave? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Um, you know, and, and that's great to have, but just be aware that you're cons- it's like buying one stock and putting your whole life into one stock. What a great, uh, what a great comparison. I, I agree. I couldn't agree with you more, Dan. And another uh, aspect is a 401k plan can help you grow your business tremendously, not necessarily because the 401k is, you know, a source of funds, but it's a benefit for employees, so as you're growing your business, obviously you need people and you need high-quality people in order to grow your business. And a 401k plan is, is a staple pretty much now about attracting and retaining uh, great talent. If you don't have a 401k plan, that puts you at a competitive disadvantage for firms within your niche. It, it just does. It's, it's almost expected all the time pretty much now. And another benefit to that is... It's also a way for employees to have skin in the game. They get buy-in into the company, into the business, and growing it because you can have profit sharing in there. And if the business is doing well, then you can share some of those profits. Again, that's all tax deductible, and it keeps that talent there as well, and it can help uh, help grow the business. So, Dan, I've heard several things from you on the business owner side. I've just I've heard a lot of good information about potential tax benefits. Obviously, we're not accountants, but it's. You know, you definitely want to talk to your CPA about potential tax benefits of, of a retirement plan. Also, I loved your point about diversification, net worth. I know we see that a lot with business owners. You know, our, our business is our baby, you know, mm-hmm. and that's that's what we put our money into. And it's nice to know we can just have an additional bucket and additional resource when we get into retirement because we all know we can rely on Social Security, right, Dan? Oh, absolutely. Um, 80% of the time. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> And then, uh, man, you know, attracting and retaining the best talent is just, that's just a must. And, and then, you know, it's one of those 
issues where if you don't have it, you know, the competitor does. Mm -hmm. So just putting together a good benefits package, it's just uh, it's important to know that a 401k is important part of that. Uh, Dan, anything else from the business side? Yeah, just when people hear about a 401k, you know, they think, well, it's something government regulated and all these rules and fiduciary responsibilities and all this, and it doesn't have to be complicated. That's one of the great services I think that we provide here is uh, we, we can make it very simple for people. And for a business owner, you know, it's, it's, it's really not that complicated. As long as you have people that you can trust in for their expertise, it's, it's a great low-cost benefit for workers and employers. Well, I really appreciate that, Dan, and I would just want to reinforce that, that if any of our business owners have any questions similar to what I said about our participants, please reach out and give you a call or shoot you an email. And Dan can be reached at our, our main number or at rudco at therudcompany.com. Really appreciate your time you spent on that, Dan. That was very, very valuable. My pleasure. I enjoyed it. So uh, before we wrap up, I just wanted to uh, say to our clients that the last six to seven weeks have been extremely challenging for investors, and we realize that, and we recognize this and are working hard every day to protect your hard-earned wealth and and, uh, not only do that, but to take advantage of the opportunity out there. As on my previous call, I do believe that these periods where we're challenged like this create some of the best investors and are really an opportunity to really stake a claim in, in some generational uh, wealth opportunities that are out there. And, and my, I have not changed my mind on that. And really, while it seems like literally like it's been cloudy and rainy uh, here in not only Texas, but nationwide for some time, I believe we're truly beginning to see the sun slowly peek through the clouds and signs of better days ahead. And you're seeing that in the news media just slowly. You know, I mentioned to Jack in the trading room the other day that that I thought, you know, we passed a point about a week and a half ago where the night, the news was so bad that the biggest risk to investors was actually getting good news. And we've started to see that in the market. I just, I'm starting to see that sun slowly peek through, and I truly believe that uh, we've got better days ahead of us. Thank you for all the trust you place in our firm, and I just want to reinforce we take that very seriously. Well, thank you very much for listening today. This is the Rudd Commentary. I'm your host, Josh Rudd. And from all of us here at the Rudd Company, invest long and prosper. This commentary is distributed for informational purposes only and is not intended to constitute legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice. Nothing herein constitutes any offer to sell or solicitation of any offer to buy any security. All investment strategies and investments involve risk of loss, including the possible loss of principal invested, and nothing herein should be construed as a guarantee of any specific outcome or profit. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Any opinions expressed by employees of the Rudd Company are the Rudd Company's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of any affiliates. The opinions expressed by guest speakers are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Rudd Company or any affiliates. Guest appearances on this program does not imply the Rudd Company's endorsement of any entity, person, product, service, or investment. All opinions are current and only as of the date of recording and are subject to change without notice.